irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, we're live in studio with Alan Lee. What? Are you on? I, okay, testing one, two, three. Okay. I'm using you my. Should have done my, that before the show started. I was, our guest was doing it. I was okay. following suit. Excellent. We're back in the studio uh, with the great Barry Katz, who's the host of Industry Standards, which is on iTunes and all the podcasts, and you're the biggest comedy manager in the world. (laughs) That's the one. And uh, It's It's an honor having you say (laughs) lies to me. What? (laughs) No, you are. I I can't believe I get to sit next to a person who's actually referred to as... We, me or Alan? No, Alan, Alan, oh, Alan, Alan, we. Yeah. Like your co-host, it's like we. It's like automatic fun. Yeah, yeah. He likes that. And then, like, because like he, when I picked him up, I was like, Barry's gonna be in studio. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring Barry up on the elevator. I was like, well, he wanted to talk to me, <laughs> and he was like all jealous. And then, like, I was trapped in the elevator because you, you I, I, I a never, logistics problem. I never thought, you know, I'd be have a co-host who's dressed in a tuxedo. Yeah, oh, I was like, why like are you wearing? A but it looks like he had a one night stand no, like three, <laughs> year, three, three years ago, and he's wearing the same suit. It's <laughs> fantastic. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say that. I'm, well, I, I'm really not a bad person. I, no, not at all. At all. I, I'm a fashion guy. I just really ruffled look today. I might be okay. Uh, Alan, uh, Barry was telling me on the phone earlier about this guy who wrote a movie. And then we go in the movie. Victor th- Levin. I interviewed him. He, uh-huh. he, was, he ran mad about you for years. Mm-hmm. And he's you know, been a writer on, you know, Mad Men and so many other shows, mm-hmm. but he wrote a movie recently and directed it called Destination Wedding and with Keanu Reeves and, uh, oh. and, oh my God, this is uh, going to have to be Renata edited. Ryder. Winona Ryder, thank you yeah. so much. And, and so it was an amazing interview and the movie is incredible because they're the only two people who speak in the entire movie. There's people all around, but that's the way it is. And there's so many jokes per minute which i think is the key to success and i was telling uh your host about this alan yes, yes. and uh, it is alan isn't it? it is indeed alan, alan lee or we it's alan we we're changing your name to we i appreciate that got it and so uh there's no we and i <laughs> so um so and and so we're talking keith and i are talking about it and it is keith isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> mine's pretty normal <laughs> Racing. There is an I in Keith. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> so, and then, and then I'm on the phone prepping with him, and then we go in the lobby, and who comes out of the elevator? Victor Levin. I know. Wow. That's a sign, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. That's like a huge, I, I believe in signs. Do you believe in signs? I did until I met Alan. <laughs> I'm sorry. You might know, I, <laughs> you might know Alan because uh, he stalked all your previous uh, clients, you know, like Dave Chappelle and all that stuff. So you might know. That explains yeah. why I've been fired <laughs> so many times. <laughs> that was me in the shadows. You couldn't keep Alan Wee away from me. <laughs> well, it was a career move. Uh, you know, when I when I look at you two together, and this isn't the way I wanted to start this. I'm so sorry. No, we're this, sorry. This isn't the way I normally do this, but I, I look at you two together, and I think of that famous phrase, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But I'll let you be the judge of which one. Yeah. Well, we were, it's weird because like people don't know that we, we get along so well because we have two different personalities, you know what I mean? And like I, I'm just like oh whatever, and he's more like you know. Very I don't drink milkshakes like you though because being half Asian, you know, we 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 can't uh, you know dairy, we 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 get pimples, uh, zits, and uh, so you want so to you the drink most random thing ever. You just no, I'm a... adding to the conversation. <laughs> Excuse, <excuse me. laughs> uh, Alan, do you want to ask Barry your serious question? Well, I, I I know I've done my research. He's he does TED talks uh, with a girl. Uh, you did TED talks, yeah, on karma and uh, God. I've never done a TED talk. No, she, oh my she, God. she wanted him to do a TED talk. Oh, I would have loved to have done a TED talk. I've never <laughs> done a TED talk. I've always wanted to do a TED talk. I think that would help my comedy career because, like, all these TED talks, they get like three million, mm-hmm. you know, 
viewers and stuff, and I could just talk about my comedy for th- to two, three. Oh, two. I no. think you should just have Ted <laughs> talk to Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be interesting. I have some questions. They're like, all right, we're here with Alan Wee. That's right. <laughs> What's your inspirational w- w- thing? I don't drink milkshakes. Well, I threw that in, and uh, everyone knows that. You know, if you, if you have Asian blood, it's hard to digest the uh, the milk. And so, uh, did you know that, Barry? <laughs> I knew that as much as that I did a TED talk. <laughs> you know, I have a question for you, sure. Alan. I can't believe I'm asking questions. No, no, this, is, asking this is the most bizarre start to any podcast I've ever done in my life. I just want you to know that. Thank you. But uh, you're you're welcome. <laughs> I w- <laughs> I want to ask you, like, uh, sure. and and you probably asked this before, many but, times, and, and try to take this with the spirit it's oh, intended. I, I... So, <clears throat> men of all races, sure, gravitate and love Asian women, and mm-hmm. always want to mm-hmm. be with an Asian woman. Always sure. want to hang out, even if they're friends, mm-hmm. girlfriends, whatever. Sure, but why is it that mm-hmm. the all races don't want to be romantic? necessarily mm-hmm. as much with an Asian man. I'm not making a joke. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you a serious question. Well, uh, being a half-Asian man, I'd say that... Uh, Which half? My dad, <laughs> my father, yeah, my mother's Cuban. <laughs> that makes me Cubanese. It's, it's a routine I do. You, you yeah. probably find a hack. You know, it's because I'm Cuban. <laughs> but getting, answering your question, um, I think they're fearful of, the, of, a, of a certain supr- a repressive dominance in Asian men. Right. When they when they communicate, they're they're kind of nice, you know, but they're saying cook my rice now, underneath the uh, the niceness. Right. Does that make any sense? No. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that, that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's actually a phrase that I can honestly say I've never said in my life. <laughs> cook this rice now. <laughs> the second most frequent thing I've never said is when am I doing that TED talk? <laughs> I bet I told you this is going to be one of the best ones you've ever done because well, it, 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 straight, we, bizarre. We just, yeah, even. we have no scripts. You know what I mean? Like people go with all these questions, and it's like I just want to talk and have fun, you know. But I do have a question for it. I'm here. <laughs> so you've been doing, uh, you've been managing all these great comics, and you're still doing that. What do you find like so special about that? Because you obviously really love comedy. I love comedy. I yeah. love. Uh, I love comedians. I love their stories. I think that anyone listening, if you have a great story, it doesn't matter if you're a mm-hmm. comedian or a banker or a Seven Eleven manager, if you have a great story, yeah. you're in great shape because what is it that you want in your life? You want to have a great job and you want to have a great relationship or if you don't want a great relationship, you want to be able to meet and be with anybody you want to be with at any time. So if you have great stories, whether you're a man or a woman, you're always going to be in that position. Look, Mm -hmm. you know, I look in the mirror and, you know, after I get out of the shower and I see a bag of onions. Uh, I'm not a bag of onions. But, you know, but when I go out in the world and if I can tell a great story, I'm in pretty good shape wherever I am at a party or people I don't know or even, God forbid, if I... uh, find that woman's prison and I get on a date, Ooh. I can actually, you know, tell a story. And so that's the biggest thing about comics is, is that uh, normally they have great stories. Mm. And, the, and, the, and the other thing that they have is that they're, most of them are broken. Yeah. And there's something really, really inspiring and exciting about seeing somebody who knows they're broken yeah. and channels that energy into walking onto a stage and writing, creating, directing, mm-hmm. executive producing, yeah. and starring in their own show every night and bringing a little bit of, you know, when, when Chris Rock, you know, when Chris Rock wrote the special, Bring the Pain. Right. I, Which was the, probably one of the best specials yeah, ever. Yeah, like, I, I don't, I, I haven't spoken to Chris about this particular thing. I've spoken to him a lot, but I would imagine... It's a double meaning because there's a lot of pain growing up. There's a lot of things that happen that make you funny. 
and probably the only person that I've ever met that, and he might disagree with me, that feels like there's not a lot of pain is Jerry Seinfeld. Right. Uh, he's sure. like one of the few guys that it feels like mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, inner turmoil. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't spoken mm-hmm. to him about it, but most people, you know, you know, if you're Jim Jeffries, you don't, you don't think of the gun control bit or the bit of, I hope I pronounce this right, Oscar Petorich, the guy who had no legs and shot his uh, model girlfriend. Mm-hmm. You don't do a routine where you're acting out the whole murder right. on stage. You're dragging yourself across the stage. If there isn't something inside that's going on, you know, that, that, that's, that's happening. If you're, I, I just don't see, if you're an impressionist, for instance, like any great impressionist. Like mo- Rich Little. Rich, Rich Little. Little. By the way, Rich Little was was banned in certain uh, areas. People Rich don't realize Little. that. Really? But in Rich Canada, Little? there were certain cities he was banned, and people think he was uh, only a G-rated comedian. But but most impressionists who are really tremendous, and I, 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 I have a rule that I wouldn't say anything unless they were in the room with me. Right. So, like, you take somebody like uh, Melissa like, Villasenor on SNL, who I represented for, I think, eight oh, years. Oh, I love her, Melissa. Yeah, this and, guy uh, has a restraining order. I just order love her. I, wouldn't am- I would imagine. <laughs> and, uh, or, when he met her, he's like, I know how to cook rice. <laughs> <laughs> and beans. And beans. Or, uh, or like a Frank Caliendo or mm-hmm. a Daryl Hammond. Normally, when you meet mm-hmm. them, you rarely... You rarely get um, that inside look. You know, it's it's more of a a guarded thing. Now, I have a relationship with Melissa, which is different, and so and those people where I do, I have seen other sides of them, which are amazing. Yeah. But normally, to the world, like if they go on a show or something, when they're at the mm-hmm. height of doing their impressions and whatever it is, you don't really see necessarily who they are you're seeing things channeled in you know robin williams would go on stage Mm -hmm. get standing ovations yeah when how often did you ever see the side of robin well bobcat goldway was his best friend he probably saw that side but very few people did so i love that about comedy i love the management side i'll tell you what i don't like about it what i don't like about it is um there's constant themes in representing people that you deal with all the time and they're the same themes that happen over and over again right and when i say i don't like them that's probably a bad word what i'll say is they're my least favorite parts of the job right which are the fact that there isn't any comic that i've ever met that hasn't said at one point in time God, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and this guy got that, and that girl got that, and how come they got that, yeah. and I didn't get that? Or they'll say something like, God, I did this comedy club, it was half full, is it ever going to be full? I mean, how am I going to get to the point where it's sold out? How am I going to get my first television appearance? How am I going to get my first movie? What is it ever going to happen? Right. Uh, I've mm-hmm. had men and women... You know, and it's part of the job. It's like because you're part guru, part mm-hmm. therapist, part whatever. You have people who get very passionate about their craft. They, you know, they, 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 some get angry, some cry. But in the end, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm believing in somebody, I always know what's going to happen. I know what can happen. I've seen it happen. One of the things that's going to sound probably disingenuous, and I don't mean it to be, is that, you know, look, you, you do something once, you know, it's a, you're lucky. Yeah. You do something twice, it's a, you know, it's a fluke. Right. You do something three times, ah, you know, it's a coincidence. Right. But I've, you know, I've I managed probably over 10 people that went from a studio apartment to extraordinary heights. Right. Like that people only dream of and so i know the formula i know what happens i know with their talent and my talent i need to be a chameleon right and i need to figure out how i'm going to represent them how i represent dave Chappelle for eight years is different than i'm going to represent mike epps and how i represent mike epps is different from how i represent louis anderson and louis anderson is different than tracy morgan 
Yeah. And Tracy Morgan is different than Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Louis C.K. is different than Wanda Sykes. Yeah. And Wanda Sykes is different than Dane Cook. And you have to be able to to move like the ocean, sort of like a comedian moves when they do a set. You know, you every audience is different. Yeah. Every artist is different. And you have to use the tools that are in my toolbox to be able to help them get to the next level. And I always know that I can do it. I always know that there's always going to be a next person. It always happens. And I've never, you know, I've never not seen it happen. Like when I worked with Dane Cook and we had such an amazing run, it was easy to think that that would never happen again where you have somebody who does so well or has that kind of success. And then I met Whitney Cummings at a Sundance Film Festival and she was interviewing um people on the street yeah and i met her and i i as i always do and i shook her hand and i always feel something it's like the dead zone right um i i i, I didn't didn't feel it with alan um <laughs> damn oh, god <laughs> darn it darn it but, uh, that's the I, best five minute joke <laughs> but i normally he hates me, but I normally no, feel no, it. And when I shook Whitney's hand, I, 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 I said to her, I said, look, you're, I, I have this weird feeling that you are going to, you can do stand up, you yeah. can write, you can act, you can host, you can do so many different things. And she said, I've, I've never really done that before. I said, well, you can, and you will. And at the height, you know, she wrote and created and was on the air with three shows. Yeah, I think she's know, the be- one of the best female comics right now. Yeah, so, so, and she, you know, hard worker. She's the kind of person who, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if she was taking a shower with a Ziploc bag and her iPhone inside of it. Yeah, um, oh, that's you quite know, an so, image. So that's the. <laughs> so would it be a better image if she cooked rice? <laughs> oh, that's right. There we go. This creativity on this podcast. Uh, it's why I'm here. This guy has more, so many callbacks. He has callback waiting. Um, so uh, yeah. So in terms of stand-up, I do love that. But there's always the. Every artist has that feeling, like you know, even yourself. You've been doing it 14 years. Yeah. You're, you, I can guarantee you, you're asking yourself, well, fuck, I've been doing it 14 years. How come that guy got Conan after three years, and I've been doing it 14 years? You're right. It's not his time. It's my time. Or you might see somebody get a sitcom, and you're like, well, you know, how come I'm not auditioning for that? Why shouldn't I? I'm that type. Yeah. I can do that. And. um I was just sitting with a comedian who shall remain nameless. Um, just every single, probably five minutes, there was another phrase that came out of his mouth. You know, I, I, you know, I started with a lot of guys who are doing a lot of great things right now. All right. Okay, that's one. Uh, you know, I it's hard. I'm not really you know making that much money right now, and I, I need a manager. I need a manager really bad to help me get to the next level. No, you don't. I can name you 50 examples of people who didn't have a manager that got a manager from what they created. Right. Oh, uh, well, let me show you this, this video of this guy I really like. He's got, like, millions of views. Oh, really? How many although, How many original things do you put up every week? Uh, well, you know, I've been kind of busy, uh, you know. How long have you been doing it? Seven years. Oh, do you have anything in seven years you put up? Well, uh, no, no, nothing I... But, but I'm going to. Right. It's like everybody has a story of why things aren't happening the way they're supposed to happen. Yeah. And there's always evidence that they build up of why it happened the way it did and why it isn't happening so they can build their story so they can, you know. And this isn't just younger people. I've worked with, like, people who've done amazing things that are, like, say things to me that they won't say to other people yeah. that you, you just be be shocked you know how come i can't get a netflix special um i don't know how to tell you this but twice in the last year you had an hour audition in front of them in front of a sold out place and they said no twice to you yeah well the, you know they're saying yes to mike epps yeah but they're saying no to you right well, you should be able to turn that around. Right. 
you know, you turn no's into yeses. Right. I said, that's yeah. what you're known for. Yeah, I said, yes, I do. But there's people in control and they're deciding who's going to get and who's not. And they're deciding on content. Mm -hmm. And your content didn't move them. Maybe your content moves me, but it doesn't, but it doesn't move, them. move them. Now, I have another comic who I uh, shall remain nameless because I don't want to say this, yeah. who I who I shot an hour special with and I thought this is a slam dunk and I pitched to every network and every network passed. I went back again the second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, everyone passed. And I'm like, God, this is, this is bad. Yeah. Um, uh, cause I've sold like 37 out of 38 hour specials. I mean, I, I, it's the best ratio that I have in, in, in my business, in, yeah. in my book of business. That's yeah, my you're, best you're percentage. A seller. Yeah. Like that's, I'm like a, you know, it's like a fielding percentage in baseball, but, but at mm -hmm. the, you know, if you're trying to sell television show is scripted, you know, I might be less than, you know, on the Mendoza line, if you know what that is in baseball, that's yeah. under 200%. That's only 200, under 20%. But the point I'm trying to make is that so I was in Montreal and I and I knew the guy from Showtime was up there and I I asked him for coffee and I asked him at a table in a corner I set a table in a corner where he could sit with his back against the corner and I sat in front of him and I had him cornered right and I essentially said I'm not leaving this table until you give me a commitment for that guy you have nothing to lose yeah. nothing to lose and everything to gain. I don't care how much money you give me. You can give me $6 and a bucket of chicken. I want this guy on the air with a commercial. And we got him on the air. Wow. So, so yeah, so I love, a long answer, but I love comedy. I love comedians. But a lot of comedians complicate winning. Right. And and the way and I'll just ramble a little more because I want to share this with you like no, no, like the way people deal with hecklers on stage, you can kind of feel what kind of person they are in real life. So in other words, like the the person that heckles a comedian, the com comedian just doesn't do anything. They just ignore it and keep going. Right. <clears throat> that might be how they deal with things in their life. Then there's the person who heckles and the comedian just doesn't even tell a joke. They're just like lash out at the person yeah. until they, you know, sulk out of there. Yeah, yeah. Then there's the person who goes on and uses biting killer comedy to defuse the situation. In your like face, completely so, in yeah. your face, just constantly slinging those jokes. Right. And then there's the people like guests of yours, like Harlan Williams. You can tell what kind of person he is. Yeah. <laughs> because when somebody heckles Harlan Williams, it's a whole different thing. Like somebody will yell out the worst thing to Harlan Williams and he'll yeah. just look down and say, hey, little buddy, <laughs> listen, um, I understand you got some things to work out and we're here as a group and I'll just be your therapist and... And this will be group therapy, little <laughs> buddy, and we'll try to work things out. We'll try to help you through this, okay? So what seems to be the problem? <laughs> and so he'll take a whole um, different way where he'll, and that's the way he is. I'm kind of like you in a way because, like, I mean, you're very persistent. And Harlan Williams, you know, you brought him up. He's a great example. He's one of my favorite comics, and I have dreams of opening up for him. Right, uh, so he doesn't have dreams of you opening up for him, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but that's, that's going to happen. You can open up for him, and he's a great guy and a wonderful guy. Yeah. And so, why don't you open up for him? Because you can. Yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, I well, have you asked him. I haven't asked him. I, I, right, I stop for yeah. a second. But, stop I, one okay. second. All right, all right. Because this is important for your audience. Right. Okay. How long have you wanted to open for Harlan Williams? Oh, I, I, ever how many since, years? Ever since I wanted to be a comic. Okay, so so fourteen years yeah. at least. Fourteen years you wanted to open up for Harlan Williams. Time right. out. So okay, you told me on the phone before the podcast that in your opinion, you've been really good for the last five of those years. Yes. So let's just pretend that let's forget the first nine. That I've been doing say, it for five years. And say five years, years okay. you've been confident. And you do great, and you feel great about yourself. So in five years, how many gigs do you think Harlan Williams has done? Oh, in five years? What would you take a guess? 
I would say... How many shows? I would say three to 5,000. 5,000. Yeah. So you haven't asked him one fucking time... And he's done five thousand shows, and that's what you what you're you're an example of of so many comedians because it's like if you don't ask, you, you don't know. get. Yeah. So you have a dream for fourteen fucking years to open for the guy, <laughs> and you never. Why ask are you laughing? Him. No, I'm enjoying this. Like it makes uh, I'm, no, I'm really enjoying this. By no the way, sense at all. <laughs> no, no. I, you, you ask him to do the podcast. He does the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, Why wouldn't you ask him to do, look, look, I just want to do a set on your thing, even if it's just for five minutes, let me, you know, can I do it? And then he says no, and then you ask him again, you send him a video or do whatever. Yeah. This is what the thing that most people listening, they, they don't get, like, I think to myself, like, people worry about getting jobs. Like, there's people listening to this podcast who wonder, okay, I'm out of, I'm out of work, how am I going to get that next job, whether yeah. they're in comedy or not. And they don't understand that the more things they go out for, the better shot they have. So just if you'll bear with me. For no, a no, second, definitely. Because this is important. Yeah. So uh, let's just pretend you put a list together of all the people who you'd like to open for. How many people would be on that list? You don't have to mention the names. Oh, well, there, there's five, and I've already opened up for four of them. Great. Okay. How many times did you ask those four? Several. Okay. Why haven't you asked Harlan? Uh, honestly, because the days he was working was the days I was doing shows with oh. like Norm or Hots or something. Keith. No, seriously. Keith. That's the truth. Five years of shows and <laughs> you were busy every time he had a show. That he was in town, yeah. Yeah. But I got him to do the podcast. I asked him like five times to do that. Each time he said no. But he said yes. The fifth time, yeah. All right. <laughs> So, so I know what's the batting average on that. That's 20%, right? No, your batting average is great for asking people. It's 80%. Oh, so that's good. But he said no four times. So no, but I mean, it's just, a, it's, yeah, he said no, but it doesn't matter how many times yeah, they you say keep no asking. because you keep asking. But the thing is with people going out for jobs, like they think, okay, well, you ask them like, okay, you want to be an architect. Great. How many places have you applied to? Oh, 50. Oh, that's great. How did you apply? Did you did you send them a handwritten note? Did you send them a, a letter? Did you, no, no, applied online. Well, anybody when you apply online could just press delete. You've got to reach out to them with a package. Yeah. And I always tell anybody who's out there, the easiest way to do this, and it's a great thing that I always tell people to do, is that you you write a cover letter that's 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 I'm not suggesting you're going to write a letter to, no, no, to, to Harlan Williams, no. but I'm talking about in 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 other situations. Right. So you write a letter that's that's completely original to the person. So let's say you want to work in the entertainment business and you want to work in a major studio. So you identify 20 studios that you want to work for. One is Lionsgate, let's say. Okay. And you just. You just write a letter to them saying, uh, you know, your three favorite movies that are that you've ever watched are Monsters Ball and you know Three Ten the Zuma and oh. Leprechaun. There should probably be movies with Lionsgate though. There right? you go. Those are movies. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, I thought the Monsters, Monsters Ball. Oh, I thought you said Monsters Inc. I was like, I thought Monsters that was Disney. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the thing you is, and then, and then, and then you say it. you identify what you the things are that you loved in mm-hmm. those films, and you mm-hmm. make it seem like those are the this is all you want to work is at Lionsgate, and you know you know these are your favorite movies, and then you put your resume in, which is great. You have your own stationery for all, and you have three letters of recommendation you put in. And this is what I tell people to do. Go to FedEx. Let's say you're applying 20 places. Get 20 envelopes, 20 slips. Make them all out. Bend them up. Put magic marker on them. And hire somebody to deliver all 20. Wow. And just when they get there, just say, uh, Hi, I, I work at Jamba Juice. This is for um, this is for uh, Michael Burns at Lionsgate. Um, is, this, is this the right place? Yeah, just leave it right here. Everybody opens a FedEx. It's like a forty-five dollar mm-hmm. message, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. and so you get that in the hands of the right people. You could have three or four going to the same company, right? And CC'd each one, and so they're going to know you. They're going to pass it on to their human resources person. And say this person sent me a FedEx. You know, bring them in or do whatever. 
and then you're going to get your audience with them. You should get more of an audience than you do if you go on the internet. And then once you get there, again, as I say, if you go in the room, you blow them the fuck away, and you're undeniable, you're going to get the gig, you're going to get offered the gig. And let's pretend that you suck in 19 interviews, but the 20th one you're great in, you're in. And we talked a little bit about this before. Yeah. It's like, if if I could play the lottery every day and have a 1 in 20 chance of winning, yeah. I'd get there. Like, you look at the people you've opened for. You know, what are your chances are of opening for them? Well, look what happened. You, you, you got to open for them. You will open for Harlan Williams. You just haven't asked. Yeah. And you could open for him at a... It doesn't, you have to have to open for him in L.A. You don't just open for Norm MacDonald in L.A. Well, when I first started, yeah, I did. I know. Oh, oh, 14 right. 14 years oh, in. Okay, right. You could offer to open up for Harlan <laughs> D when he's doing Fort Lauderdale and just say, hey, listen, I'll fly myself there. I'll put myself up. You can pay me whatever you want to pay me. Uh, right. I'll show you that I can do the job. And And... And and that's it. And that's that's how you form these relationships. And you go. There are certain artists that don't want relationships mm -hmm. with anybody. They don't want to get close to anybody. Mm -hmm. They feel like every single person that comes into their life is another chance that something could fuck up. Right. So you'll notice. I'm not going to mention any names. There are some comedians who've risen and fallen really hard that haven't put a community around them. Right. They've isolated themselves. And so it's easier to get attacked that way than when you have the community. Like Joe Rogan has a tremendous community. It's like the Lauren Michaels of podcasting. Yeah. Anybody who goes on his show um, is immediately endorsed. And if he uh, has them on again and again, their careers become tremendous. Yeah. Chelsea Handler is that kind of person who gave the chance to so many great young artists. And yes, you know, sometimes some of them walked on eggshells when she was there, but, you know, it happens. You know, you got to learn how to mix with certain people. Norm MacDonald, as you know, yeah. when he was at Saturday Night Live, he had no fear of Lorne Michaels. Yeah. Now, granted... He got taken out of the show at a certain point, but I don't think that hurt him at that point because I think that everybody knew how knew how brilliant he was. But you know, he didn't. Will Ferrell didn't care. You know, he just did what he wanted to do. He had confidence in his greatness. Yeah. Melissa Villasenor told me something that was kind of funny with Lorne because he's so funny and he's such a genius. But you know, as an artist, sometimes you just don't know where you stand. And Melissa had gone through all the thing with the, you know, with that thing in the press that happened to her. And, oh, about and, the Twitter stuff? Yeah and, so yeah, she, yeah, and so, you know, and she hadn't really talked to him in months. He hadn't said anything to her. She was on the show. She was doing things. but And she goes into an elevator alone, like they're going to the party, but she's alone in the elevator, and all of a sudden, cast start filing and filing, and the elevator's packed, and then Lauren comes on the elevator and it's like 20 floors down and, you know, nothing, no one's saying anything halfway down. And then right before it hits the bottom, Lauren just says this gem. He says, um, everybody, let's, let's not share what we really feel about Melissa in this elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm par and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that. And it was just, you know, just he's a master. And, and you know, it's like, and I'm, Lauren Michaels has, you know, uh, done more for uh, artists that I've worked for than I'm, I He's just and done more for artists that I don't work with. Yeah. It's just there's, I mean, what is it, 47 years, 50 years? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's, it's, it's just so special to, to be there and to, to know that that's one of the things in my career that I will always look at wonderfully is that to walk through those hallways as a young manager and, you know, longer in the tooth as a manager and, and you know, be around, you know, standing next to, Kurt Cobain before he goes on or or watching you know uh, Jim Brewer get ready to go on and, and see his process or Daryl Hammond doing you right. know Clinton or um, Tracy Morgan or, or Jay Moore or it's just it's just Dane Cook hosting the opening 
show of a season and just you know these things you can't you can't even believe what's happening when you're there the, this this show is something out of like it's something like out of the old school and there's people who are writing cue cards that their only jobs is to write cue cards yeah and changing and doing it if you see these people observe these people you'd be i mean you'd be blown away like how many people would even know what a cue card is now yeah exactly um and these shows you know a lot of times the dress rehearsal shows you know there's so much anxiety you're trying to do well as an artist you want to get on the live show things are going to get cut you're killing yourself and a lot of times things fall flat in the dress rehearsal and it gets done and i remember in between shows i'd i'd sort of sit down away from everybody and i think to myself how is the show ever going to come together? Yeah. And in a span of 45 minutes to an hour, Lorne and his team would put it together in a way that just just blew me away. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's, you know, these things that you can study as a comedian and, and look at, you can study so many different things about the business and it really, you have everything available to you to do so where most people didn't have that in the past. You'd have to look at a VHS tape of right. somebody, you know, and, and and now you can see the opening sets on television of certain people. And I know I'm rambling, but I think this is important because... No, it's very like, important. Like, like I just watched uh, a Cat Williams special uh, from Jacksonville, Florida. I think it was his last special. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. And, you know, he does 20 minutes on Jacksonville and at the end, he does 10 minutes on his dick. Okay, now... It's a good I'm, transition. And, and, I'm not, and I, I'm not shitting on Cat Williams. No, Because no. Cat Williams is a genius. But this special, when you watch it, and I'm laughing, it's funny, but it's everything in it that I would tell every comic I ever met with or ever gave guidance to. You don't do that. Yeah. Don't do 10 minutes on your dick. Don't, don't come and, and try to make it and do 20 minutes on L.A. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it, it's just, don't do it. But Cat Williams has proven himself right. as a stream of consciousness, you know. <laughs> he's just incredible, you know. And, and he, he, people love him so much, not just because of his original voice, and or his, his dick. And his dick or whatever, or, or the way he does it. But if you watch him, it's like he's work. You see that he's working so hard. Now, somebody might make a joke, well, you know, he's not working. He just sweats like that or whatever. But he's, you get the feeling that he's really giving everything he has for you. Yeah. So when I watch that, I would tell every comic, you can't do that. Don't do that. But it's like... Chappelle, I was watching a special for him from him recently where he said did it from San Francisco. And he starts off the special, it's the gayest town ever. It's like I'm in, you know, whatever, God's anus or whatever it is. And and again, you know, if you're a comic out there, you can't do that. Yeah. But Chappelle has paid his dues. Right. He's done so many hours and hours and hours of the greatest comedy from the crack baby, you know, the four-year-old in yeah. diapers selling crack to, I mean, I remember one of the first jokes when he was 18, you know, I loved the joke, I can't say it on the air, but it was like, he's like, you know, it's known that black people say the N-word and I took my white friend to a party. Right. And everybody's walking around, I'm walking, and hey, what's up, man? What's up, man? What's up, man? My white friend got all excited. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, the music stopped. People look at him. He got his ass kicked that night. I mean, I hated to do it to him, but I mean, everybody was looking at me. You know, so he always had these unique things. But yeah. now he can do anything. He can do the joke. I went to see him with my son uh, at Radio City Music Hall. Oh, yeah. And he comes out, this is, this is what no one, I don't think anybody can, he comes out as the day after Charlottesville. 
And he stands on stage, he walks out, takes out a cigarette, smokes. You're not allowed to smoke indoors, except if you're Chappelle. And he says, listen, I'm sorry, everybody, but I have to talk about what happened last night in Charlottesville and what's going on the last few days. I think it was a couple days before. Uh, I'm sorry, but I have to get this off my chest. And for 30 minutes, he's talking about Charlottesville and he's killing. It's like it's like an old Def Jam where people are standing up, high-fiving each other, running around. It's like insane stuff that he's never done before. Yeah. And he's killing, not for five, not for ten, not for 30 minutes. And I'm with my son, and I, I just can't believe what I'm, what I'm seeing, you know, a true yeah. genius. Then he stops. He takes another cigarette, and he says this line, which he does on his special. He says, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, I'm 44 years old. I'm getting old. You know, when you're getting old, guys, you're alone in your room. Uh, doors closed. You get out the lotion. You start touching yourself. And then halfway through, you just say, fuck it, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> and then he gets a huge laugh there and then he does 30 minutes more of the most brilliant stuff ever thank you good night i go backstage and i you know i I guess i have this kind of relationship with him he spends like this was what was really amazing about dave Chappelle too and and i just share this and cat williams too and i'll tell you so i'm backstage there's 200 people backstage you know um I'm, you know, I'm in the corner by the wall. My son, he walks in. My son says, let's go over to talk to him. I said, I said, Zion, let's just. Dave's busy. Let's just, <laughs> let's just stay right here against the wall. I have a feeling everything will happen the way you want it to yeah. happen. He walks in and he comes right over to us. And he spends a lot of time with my son. And, um. And I say to him, listen, you know, you got a lot of people here. You're gonna. He said, no, no, I know you're always going to have a question for me, Barry, and I want you to stay after and talk to me, too, so yeah. you can go and come back. I said, well, I do have a question for you. He said, what is it? I said, I just want to understand something. You do 30 minutes of the most unbelievably original new stuff on Charlottesville, and then you follow it up with 30 minutes of the most incredible stuff you're working on presumably for your special. But then your bridge joke is a dick joke that almost any comedian could think of or do. Granted, you do it in your way, and it's probably funnier than 20 times funnier, 100 times funnier than anybody else, but it's not something that when you hear the joke, you're like, wow, that is a master. (laughs) And he looked at me, and he smoked the cigarette, took a puff out, and he, he said, Barry, man, sometimes I like to do a joke for me. <laughs> and I thought that was really amazing, because at this stage of the game, yeah. he can do that. After Chris Rock did his, uh, I think it was his third or fourth special, I happened to be backstage, and he came off stage, and he said, what do you think? And I... I'm, you know, I just, I'm one person's opinion. I just say what I say. I'm not going to, I'm not a yes person. I'm just going to say what I said. And I said, the special is brilliant. It's unbelievable, incredible. But I do have to ask you, you did open up with about 10 minutes of Michael Jackson jokes. Like, I, I'm kind of confused why you did Michael Jackson jokes. You can do anything. And he looked at me and he said, Barry, I stand by those Michael Jackson jokes because I know that they're original the way I write them and no one's going to do better Michael Jackson jokes than me. I said, I know that, but but they're Michael Jackson jokes and it's a premise that totally different from right. every other premise you did was nobody could ever do. I mean, this is a guy who did the tambourine premise. Right. Who in the world has ever taken the word tambourine and united it with a theme of marriage and relationships and but he was doing 10 minutes of Michael Jackson jokes right and he said look Barry um I've paid my dues I've proven myself I can do 
you know, the original stuff. And if I want to do 10 minutes on Michael Jackson, I'm going to do 10 minutes on Michael Jackson. I'm going to do it better than anybody else. And I'm committed to that. Ah. And I said, that that's fair. And, uh, and, and so again, a long way to go, but ah. the way I love, the reason why I love comedy is I love being around these people. These people are, incredible incredible artist and and the greatest thing for your audience listening look you go to a rock and roll show you're never gonna talk to steven tyler you're never gonna talk to you know whoever you love share or nine inch nails or well axel rose if you, love. if you if you get to them you're going to get to them because you know somebody you know, know somebody, somebody knows somebody and you maybe you'll shake their hand if you're if you love comedy as an artist and you're a young comic or you're an audience member or you're a fan you just go to the comedy store walk out to the bathroom and just stand next to the wall in the hallway and you can walk up to Chris Rock and say, hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm a big fan. Uh, I want to ask you about this. Or I'm starting comedy. I have this thing that I was thinking about. What do you think? And they will sit or stand there and they will give you some of their time. What other thing, art form, do you have where you can mingle and, and hang out with the greatest comedians in the world who work out in these places? Yeah. And be an open micer or a fan or just bring your parents down. I remember my ex-wife, I brought her parents to see George Carlin oh. work out his set at the Comedy Magic Club. And, you know, after the show, well, like nothing. I just, just walk back and they're talking to George Carlin for a half hour. Right. It's like that's where we're. That's why I love comedy. It's it's an accessible art form that also lets people know in the world that people go through the same kind of pain they do. Uh, as John Stewart once eloquently said, he said, "I don't understand why black people and Jewish people don't get along. Um, we both had the same pain. The only difference is, uh, you know, black people learned how to put it to music." <laughs> and uh, you know, and that's so funny. that's good. And so, in in essence, that's what comedy brings. And I'll always have an affinity for, it and I'll always love. It. And the reason why I do industry standards because it's actually one of besides this that's my favorite podcast. I bet you say that to all the lesbians. No, no, I'm serious. <laughs> like I, I actually love my podcast, but yours is my is my second favorite podcast. I listen to it all the time. So that means a lot. To yeah. Me, man. But, um, we are running out of time and I do want to like give you a compliment because I have talked to you on the phone a couple of times and, you know, just sitting here, mate, you know, and hanging out with you. I don't think you know how, um, positive you are to comedy I, or maybe you do and no one's ever told you this. So I'd like to tell you this. Um, everyone you've ever managed, you know, you, you're a big part of their career and you've helped people who aren't in comedy cheer up because you've helped them so you're very very powerful and you know i love you very much because you've helped all these comics who've helped so many people just with the spirit of laughter and you're a big key of that so i thank you very much for that well that means a lot coming from you um i wish it had come from alan but no, but, I, I, but, but he no. does you don't make rice <laughs> no i don't you see what i just did yeah. there i did a bad thing he tried to do a joke. <laughs> no, I did a bad thing there. <laughs> what? I didn't take the love. Yeah. And I'm going to reset and, oh, and thank, you thank you so, yeah. so much. It really because, means a lot to me. Because I don't think anyone's ever, maybe they've told you that, but I don't think you've ever been, you know what I mean? You've actually really realized that. You know what I mean? Well, that, I don't. I don't. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of things about myself that are like comedians and that I don't. I know my place, yeah. but I don't accept it. I'm always, if I, I will share something with you that I probably shouldn't share because it's completely against everything. As much I, as I want to hear it, is it going to be fast because we have the light? Oh, okay. <laughs> so. no, it is fast. I'll uh, just share with okay, you that. Okay, share I'll it. just share with you that 
I just feel like when I get up in the morning, what drives me is thinking, okay, it's all going to go away. And what can I do today to help it get better? And the podcast helps me tell the stories and allow comedians the license to tell their story, which is the greatest gift in the world. And, and you're doing great stuff, you and Alan, and I'm, it's an honor to be here. Oh. I truly mean it. I'm sorry I rambled so much. No, oh, no. no. I'm, I'm just we glad that I finally you. got to meet you, and you know, it was awesome having you, and I'm glad that you now know how much you mean to comedy, you know, just by being the guy. You know, you've done a lot. You know what I mean? And that was what I really wanted to tell you because I think you, you've never, maybe you've realized it, but I think you've never really known that. So well, I just wanted you to know that. It really means a lot. And congratulations on your show. You're kicking ass and uh, you deserve everything you have. And uh, and just keep going, keep plugging ahead and, and set those goals and, and tick them off the list one by one. <laughs> and before you know it, you're going to have everything you want in life. Oh, well, thanks, Barry. Thank you. Is there a place where the folks can follow you on Facebook or Twitter? Just or? at Barry Katz or Barry Katz? just at Jew Israel. No, I'm kidding. Oh. It's <laughs> at Barry Katz. Now, obviously, you could follow Alan at Give Me Rice. <laughs> it's not true. Okay, guys. If you like the show, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. You could also follow us on social media at Raise a Riffs. Uh, I have two stand-up shows coming up Friday, the 24th, at the Rec Room with Angelo Zarukas. Uh, APM tickets could be uh, purchased at www.recroomhp.com and then Saturday the 25th at the Hollywood Improv with Jay Moore uh, tickets could be purchased at www.hollywood.improv.com 25th yes so and then all other shows www.keithraza.com Barry thank you so much for being here I really appreciate it thank you Barry thank you guys see you guys next time yes you're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Reza and Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, write, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there. www.stereo.com slash Keith And on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.